Well, once upon a time, I graduated from seminary with an MDiv. And I moved to a different state and to a new town where I knew no one and began to meet new people and try to introduce myself. Meeting people inside the church where I pastored was easy. They were friendly. They knew what to expect when they introduced themselves to me. But I wanted to meet people in the community, too. And that presented a problem. And the problem was this. When people asked, so what do you do? I didn't quite know how to answer. I could say, well, I'm a pastor at that church, that one right over there. But that tended to change the conversation pretty quickly. When you say, I'm a preacher, most people treat it like a confessional. Oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't been to church in 35 years. <laughs> or let me tell you about the worst experience I've ever had with a pastor. Other people make assumptions about your, your politics or your beliefs or what preachers are like, and a whole lot of people just shut down. So I knew right away that I needed a different answer, at least to save that one for later. Not a lie, mind you. I just needed another true version of what I did for a living. Not out of shame, uh, not out of not wanting to be a preacher. I mean, I had gone all the way through Asbury trying to get there. But just out of a desire to have a softer place to start those conversations before someone shut me out without really finding out who I was. So I began to give different answers, still true answers. What do you do? I work for a nonprofit. What do you do? I'm in education. Uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm in public service or public speaking. What do you do? I work to recruit stakeholders in a really long-term potential investment. <laughs> there, there are so many ways that you could describe what you do, whether you share what's printed on your business card or not. Now think about this. God had one shot, one chance to introduce himself to humanity. It wasn't the beginning of his story, but it was the beginning of the way that he told his story to us. And of all the ways that God could describe for us, what do you do? In the beginning, God could have said, in the beginning, God sang. In the beginning, God laughed. In the beginning, God yelled. In the beginning, God danced. And what did he pick? What did he choose? In the beginning, God created. It's his introduction, the very first way that he introduced himself to us. As if he walked up to us and said, Hello, I'm God, and I create beauty from chaos. Now, Reverend Grimes did a beautiful job on Tuesday articulating that we have a creative God, and we are creative because he created us. So I'm not here to belabor that point. We know the who of creativity. We know its origins. I want to talk about the how. I want to talk about the conditions for creativity. Where was God when he created? Where are you? Where am I? And what should we be looking for before we even start? When you dream about finding time to create, time just for you, that special set-apart time, what conditions do you imagine? I, I can imagine some pretty good ones. My ideal conditions for creativity look a little something like this. 
I mean, if I could teleport there right now, I would probably be there. Just an empty beach, maybe a nice warm blanket to wrap up in. No interruptions, no noise, just me and a place to write. And, and really, besides the setting, I, I would love conditions with a calendar that looks like this. Uh, have you ever gotten that notification that says no events scheduled? I hear it happens. <laughs> but your calendar might be empty. That's, that's the day I would like to create on. No other events, no meetings, classes, Zoom calls, just empty space where I could make it what I wanted it to be. These are the conditions I imagine where I would like to create. But instead, our conditions may look a little more something like this. Um, this is not my actual desk, but it is a picture of my actual life as I imagine it. Just stuff everywhere, not even organized into its own sections, overflowing. Does your life feel like this sometimes? Nothing stays in its own compartment, everything mixing together. Hard to find what you need, hard to find space. Nothing really empty. And, and also conditions of time in my life that might look a little more like this one. This is a, a guy probably trying to write an exegesis paper. <laughs> He's got a toddler on one side and a baby in his lap and uh, maybe one finger left to type and one brain cell to do it with. And, and if you've never tried to produce anything with a toddler and a baby, just think of this picture as representing the blurred lines that technology has offered us, increasingly bringing work home and relationships into work, much to our joy and much to our dismay. If any of you find yourself with a life that doesn't look like sunning yourself in a deck chair on a day with no calendar events, an empty day and an empty space at your disposal, if any of you don't find yourself there, I have good news you can still create. In, in fact, you are called to create in less than ideal conditions because the best conditions for creativity are not sterile and limitless. Um, the ideal conditions for creativity include chaos and constraints. Now, how do we know that, that conditions for creativity include chaos and constraints? Because God shared his own conditions for creativity with us. And they look like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what are the conditions there? Now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Do you hear what God is doing here? How does he begin creativity? God orders chaos. He fills emptiness. And he lights darkness. Chaos is present here in the story of creation. God chose to share these conditions with us. He could have swept them under the rug. He could have started any way he wanted. But God chooses to create with chaos present. Formlessness, no shape. Void, no inhabitants, darkness. And God is perhaps leaving us a message about what he can and will do with chaos in our lives throughout the rest of history and what he's calling us to do with chaos as well. That means that when there is chaos in your life, anybody have any chaos going on? All right. You might just consider the possibility that chaos is a sign 
that something new is emerging. That's a sign in Genesis 1-2. Chaos may not be the check engine light of lost causes. Oh, no. Chaos. This must be the end of all things good. Instead, in God's story, we find, oh, look, chaos. This is a great beginning. Now, where do we see chaos and constraint in this story? Well, constraint, we find that God goes around separating on those first three days. Day one, he separates light and darkness. Day two, water separated from sky. Day three, he separates the land and the waters. And then days four, five, and six are spent filling those environments that he's separated out, filling light and dark with sun, moon, and stars, uh, filling sky and sea with birds and fish, filling land with animals and humans, But it's only with constraints that there is room to fill with inhabitants. Constraints create order. Boundaries between things. You do this when you go about ordering chaos by cleaning in your house. You you separate laundry into categories. Maybe not. Some of you, maybe you didn't read the manual on that one. Okay, well, you pick up the junk that's accumulated in different parts of your world and, and you put it in piles. This junk needs to go into this junk drawer and this junk needs to be filed over here. In, in our house, I'm picking up different people's junk and putting it in piles. And uh, this junk goes to Drew's room and this junk to Kate's and most of the junk is mine. But uh, what I do is I put the junk on the stairs so they'll see it on the way to their room And that means absolutely nothing. (laughs) So I've separated it, I've put it where it could be ordered, and there it sits. Um, God creates constraints. These spaces, breathing room, running room, swimming room. And then he fills them with inhabitants. God shows us that constraints of order are meant to make space for creativity. This is where he says, be fruitful, multiply. In other words, I've created, now you create too. Constraints can help us too. Without without constraints of time for our creativity, uh, we usually don't get much done. If I do end up with a day with all the time in the world, do you think I spend all that time creating? Or maybe binge watching something? Now, if I have just one or two hours, I might get a lot done. Without constraints of topic, uh, we might try to say everything and end up saying nothing. Focusing, having a constraint of topic, makes us go deep. Where too broad a field to create in makes us tend to be shallow. Now listen, if God needed constraints, so do you and I. We're ordering the world God has given us, the calendars God has given us. We're creating boundaries for relationships that can be healthy. We're moving about in a chaotic world as people of order, and that requires constraints. And listen, if God chose to make something beautiful from chaos, then perhaps the message embedded there is where you have chaos. God wants to bring beauty to Chaos is all around us. It's in the world we live in, our homes, our minds, the blurred lines between different parts of our lives. There's daily chaos in our homes and our schedules. There's devastating chaos in our world, isn't there? There's pandemics and death and war and heartbreak. God says, 
These are the conditions I love to work with. Show me some chaos and I will show you new life. God chooses to create in these conditions. And so when we're disturbed by chaos, he's calling us to be a people who bring order and fullness and light. Uh, Dr. Callis, who was my preaching professor and once the seminary president, quoted uh, an alcoholic who told him about his own life. He says, an alcoholic once explained his predicament to me vividly. Reverend, I'm all right as long as things are normal, but damn it, they're never normal. Dr. Callis said, likewise, under ideal circumstances, I would offer great sermons, but I never get to preach under ideal circumstances. Your life is never going to flash a sign that says to you, circumstances ideal, move forward with your creative work. <laughs> this is what God's showing us by creating beauty under the conditions of chaos. You don't need to wait for perfect conditions to begin because perfect conditions will never arrive. Don't wait for an empty beach or an empty calendar to begin to create. And, and we're not just talking about what you think of as art here, because some of you are looking over here at Dora's painting and thinking, well, I'll never do that, or Bethany's poem and thinking, I could never write that, or Sarah's song, but we are all creatives. Andy Crouch said, culture is what we make of the world. Therefore, we are making together and so we're not just talking about not waiting for ideal conditions to paint or, or make a poem or something like that. Don't wait for someone else's permission to begin what God has called you and made you to do. We're talking about your life here, your gifts, your calling. Don't wait for the diploma, for the letters after your name. Don't wait for the paycheck or the business card to begin to create what God has called you to make. Don't say that the chaos of assignments or readings or outlining 127,000 of John Wesley's sermons <laughs> is what's keeping you from beginning the life that God has called you to. Because I know you. I hear you talking in the hall on your way out of chapel, on your way out of the cafeteria, on the way out of class. You leave those spaces with your heart racing and your mind buzzing with what you might do with that information. When, when it's clear that God has made something beautiful in theology and worship and community, you begin to create in your heart, don't you? And then you say to yourself, self, not now, not yet. What are you waiting for? Start dreaming out loud with a friend. Sketch it out, make the business plan. Begin to look for ways to make it happen. So now that we've talked about conditions, what, how do we go about this thing called creativity? How do we create? Well, in 1926, a psychologist named Graham Wallace wrote a book called The Art of Thought, in which he tried to distill the essence of the stages of creativity. And lots of people have tried since then to redo his work or to improve on his work, but they're all essentially playing with a model that Wallace developed. All theories of creativity and its steps are basically based on his. So Graham Wallace, in his book, The Art of Thought, came up with these four stages of creativity. First, preparation. This is the stage at which the problem or issue is defined or developed. It's the stage at which we are bothered by something. You've heard that necessity is the mother of invention, right? It's really chaos. Chaos is what brings necessity. 
And we see a need, a problem to be solved, a ministry that's needed, a book that needs to be written, and it begins to build in us. This is preparation. It's also the stage in which we begin collecting the pieces that we'll put together to make our own piece. The reading that we do, the reading of the text, of the culture, of the congregation. This is a knack for noticing that we have. This gathering of information, collecting of sources, what we know as brainstorming, this is the art of problem solving. And most creativity is born out of the desire to solve some problem. So next, after creating uh, all of these means of preparation, after gathering them and dreaming and being especially bothered by some problem, we have a stage called incubation. This is the stage in which the problem is laid aside, where you don't actively work on the problem, but you wait for a while. Waiting is such a biblical stage. Most people who are called are called to wait. And so if we're bothered by something, if we're dreaming about something, often we spend a lot of time wrestling with God in that space, waiting, thinking about incubation. Where might this go? Where are these problems turning in my mind? What are the resources uh, meeting each other and conversing with each other in? And then after that for a while, the stage of illumination, the moment the idea emerges. Aha! Eureka! I know! I'm headed somewhere. And then finally, after the idea is out in the world, the stage of verification. This is the stage in which the solution is tested. This is important, right? Look, I made something. Does it work? I wrote a song. Is it any good? I thought of a ministry. Would that work in the real world? Uh, these Stages are so common that other theorists have tried to give them names. And so another theorist of creativity named Frank Barron renamed them, describing the stages of birth, a birth metaphor. He describes these stages, preparation he describes as conception. Um, uh, incubation he describes as gestation. Illumination he describes as birth. Aha, here is the idea. And then verification he describes as parenting. Is it any good? <laughs> How do I make it better? And this, by the way, these stages are why creativity feels like labor. They're difficult, these stages. They, they take effort. We feel constrained. We, we feel like we have writer's block. Those, those of us who preach know the feeling of laboring to, what do we call it, deliver a sermon. And if you're preaching weekly, then you deliver a sermon on Sunday, and you just have to get pregnant again with the next sermon on Monday. <laughs> for that incubation to happen, the preparation for it to be out in the world and measured, was it any good? Often when we talk about creativity, we're talking about one stage alone. We love the aha -a moment, the epiphany. We, we think about illumination as creativity, right? We imagine that creative people are just walking along somewhere and an idea hits them. And it's beautiful and that's how creativity works. And we think, now why doesn't that happen to me? Some of us have understood creativity to be some uncontrolled gift from an outside source bestowed upon the creative by the natural gifts they have or the gods or the muses or the Holy Spirit might just give me this gift. I don't have to do any work on it. 
But this development of creativity theory has allowed us to develop a view that creativity is cultivatable. We can work towards creativity. Persons wishing to be more creative can develop it through certain disciplines. This is great news, right? That we can do the stages of preparation and gathering and thinking. We, we can do stages of incubation. And the aha moment may be something that comes to us later. It also tells us, I think we have this on a slide too, that creativity is equal parts rational activity and imaginative activity. Now, this is good news for the many, many rationally-based academics that we have in the room who think creativity is not for them. But it's a very rational act. These, these acts of preparation and verification take a lot of work for our brains to do. It is both a rational activity and an imaginative activity. And it causes us to answer some questions that are out there in the world. Is creativity something from above or something from within? Yes. Is creativity something God does or something that I do? Yes. Is creativity spontaneous or is it planned? Yes. It reminds me of the verse from Philippians 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You Work out your own salvation, for it's God who's acting. Well, whose job is it anyway? <laughs> Same for creativity. God is at work. You are at work. It requires us to work together. We can prepare well with God's help. We can incubate well with God's help. We can be illuminated with God's help, and we can verify with God's help. We all need constraints to make this happen. We need time to sit in these spaces. If it's important to you to create and you haven't carved out time to sit with God or in preparation or with some sources that inspire you, maybe it's time for you to make that time. Some constraints will make that happen. Now I want to take a look at probably the most neglected aspect of creativity and that's incubation. Um, incubation is so misunderstood because not many people know that they need some time and space off from their work to make it happen. The creativity often arrives when we are least expecting it. And creatives have dubbed this the bed, bath, bus phenomenon. Now why is that? People will say, I get the best ideas when I'm in the shower. You know, I think of it right before I go to sleep. I need to put a pad of paper there to write it down. Or bus, I don't know how many of you are taking public transportation, but often when I'm driving and my mind is wandering, ideas come to me. Thankfully, because of the advent of the iPhone and the recording app, I don't have to risk my life anymore to write it down in the passenger seat. You, you need to start early, take a break, and then finish well. And that middle space is called productive procrastination. And some of you are thinking, yay, I've been doing that all along. <laughs> it just takes some intentional time where you're not at work on something. Go for a walk without headphones. Go for a drive and think about things. Allow creativity to arrive at its own pace. And don't always do things, talking to myself now, at the last minute so that God has time to develop things to arrive. You need all of these phases for your creative life. Action and reflection, making and resting, doing and being. God made this clear when on the seventh day of creating, he rested. 
and enjoyed what he had made. You know, God didn't stop creating in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. As we heard in the reading today, John 1 is an intentional echo of Genesis 1, isn't it? When people heard those iconic words, in the beginning, their minds immediately would jump to Genesis 1, God is creator, but instead they heard, in the beginning was the word. And that was a sign to say, we're immediately in Jesus' birth, in his incarnation, drawn back into new creation, to the God who creates order and beauty from chaos. In the beginning was the word as a way of saying, look, God is doing it all over again. When Jesus shows up in the flesh, new creation is arriving. Jesus takes on the constraints of our humanity. He enters the chaos of our world. We sang it together. Humbly he came to the earth he created. And he went around and with every touch, with every healing, with every miracle, every sermon, every relationship, every conversation, he was bringing chaos into order filling emptiness, and lighting darkness. He had the same business card that he had in Genesis 1, in John 1. Hi, I'm God. I create beauty from chaos. Creation's not just in the beginning. It's any time God begins again. At one of the darkest points in my life, when I felt like nothing was redeemable, someone introduced me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. That verse helped me so much to realize that God was starting over in my life again and again. But the verse is not so personable, personal to say, as it's often quoted, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, she is a new creation. It's even better. It says if anyone is in Christ, new creation. When we join our hearts to the heart of the creative Christ, New creation starts all over again. Genesis 1 starts rolling through us. The party that God started at the beginning begins again. All of creation being renewed one soul at a time. Now you are creative, but you are also a new creation. God is using you not just to create something that orders the chaos out there, but he is making all things new, ordering the chaos in here. When we sat down at the beginning of this service, Z said, oh, I've never sat up here before. I said, well, this is the best seat in the house. Do you know why? This is the seat of ministry. It's the seat of looking over what God is doing in worship. All the broken pieces entering together, gradually being made whole in worship and community. New creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You can walk out in the hallway today and look at some of Winfield Bevins's paintings. What you can't see there is that some of them are painted on the back of, I'm going to try to get this right, grocery bags from Trader Joe's, some of them. Oh, sorry, Whole Foods, a little more bougie. Um, the backs of Whole Foods bags such beauty. Really, walk out and gaze at it and think of what's on the other side, painted on something that most people would discard. Listen, you are being repurposed, renewed, recycled. You're being created out of something that most people would have thrown away. 
One of my favorite stories about mistakes being made into something new is about post-it notes. We're gonna skip the next slide, Ben, so you don't need to go there. Um, post-it notes are my favorite, well, because they're my favorite. I own literally drawers full of them. But I'm not sure most people know where they came from. In 1970, a man named Spencer Silver was working in 3M research laboratories trying to create a strong adhesive, something that would stick permanently. And his formula was supposed to bind things together permanently, but he, he made a mistake, a creative mishap. And instead, this formula for adhesive would make things stick and then be easily removed and make them stick again. And so 3M told him it was a failure, and they put it in a drawer somewhere in a file. But instead of throwing out that formula, he kept it. Maybe it would be good someday. So four years later, on a Sunday morning, one of Silver's colleagues, Arthur Fry, was singing in his church choir. And in that choir, they had a hymnal, and they had lots of different pages to mark. And so Arthur Fry was putting little bookmarks in, tearing off pieces of paper, marking the next hymn, the next page. But he found when he opened his hymnal, all the pieces fell out. And he began to think to himself, and I love this part of the story, his mind wandered during the sermon. <laughs> he began to think to himself of a good solution to his bookmark problem. See how even God can use a bad sermon for good. <laughs> he remembered his friend Silver's adhesive and decided to give it a try. And so he used some of that failed formula to coat bookmarks. And suddenly, what was once a creative failure was a success. Post-it notes were born. And the 3M company began distributing them in 1980, 10 years after the failure. They became their biggest commercial success, not in a small part to my financial contribution of buying them all. <laughs> the market for them continues to grow. This is creativity. What looks like a failure, God can use. You meant it for evil. God used it for good. Broken pieces knit back together. Your creativity may not look like Dora's painting or Bethany's poem, but there's a problem God's made you to worry about, think about, offer to him to solve. Chaos can produce creativity. Boredom in a sermon can produce creativity. Sometimes creativity produces more creativity. It's generative. It feeds off of itself. Our family was in an art museum in Louisville recently, and they have such a beautiful way of designing the space, so it's empty except for the pieces you focus your eyes on. We were walking maybe into our second room when my nine-year-old Kate just stopped. She just stopped in front of a painting. She couldn't move. She almost couldn't breathe. I walked over to her. I didn't want to interrupt her reverie. Kate, Kate identifies herself as an artist. Many of you did when you were nine, too, but something happened. Don't wait for someone to give you a business card to identify as what God has made you. I walked up to her just quietly standing by her, and without taking her eyes off the painting, she held out her hand to me and she said, I need paper. <laughs> now, what did she mean by that? The art on the outside was making art on the inside. Everything she saw was turning over new spaces of creativity in her, and she couldn't wait till we went home. She couldn't wait for the car. She needed paper right then. So I pulled some out of my purse. I handed it to her, and each room we went in, I found her leaning against a wall, sitting in a chair, frantically drawing, writing poetry I couldn't believe was coming out of a nine-year-old. Beauty begets beauty. Be fruitful. Multiply it. This is why we wanted to end this conference tonight with a space to be creative in community. 
why at 7 o'clock many of you will come to Drinklings, have some coffee, and say, I need paper. Bring your own paper. We're not providing. <laughs> That's been our hope this week, that beauty would produce beauty, creativity produce creativity. People will forever be asking you, what do you do? Don't wait till it says it on your business card. Of the many ways God could answer, he said, I am God and I make beauty from chaos. So do you. So do I. Let's make it together. Let's pray. Lord God, we're, we are so grateful today that you've called us into this act of creating. Lord, that you've made space for us between light and dark, between air and water, between land and sea, that you gave us a place to inhabit. The boundary lines have fallen in such pleasant places, and we see ginkgo trees, we see children, we see poetry, we see art, and in it we see your business card, God. Will you take the chaos that we live in and see and make beauty and order again? Use us, Lord. We want to do it too. Amen.